Welcome to the Skillset Podcast, brought to you by the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina and Publishers Weekly. I'm David Lankus, Professor and Director of the School. Forrest Evans is a reference librarian at the Auburn Avenue Research Library, a branch of the Fulton County Library System in Atlanta, Georgia. This branch is dedicated to African-American history, culture, and literature. Forrest is an experienced librarian and a published poet who has been building a thriving community on social media with her favorite librarian accounts, where she highlights the beauty of black literature. This podcast is part of our Collective Care series. So welcome, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, just for the record, if you would uh, state your name uh, and your affiliation and where you work, uh, that it will get our podcast started. Wonderful. Uh, my name is Forrest Evans. I'm a reference librarian at the Auburn Avenue Research Library, solely dedicated to African-American culture, history, and literature, a part of the Fulton County Public Library System here in Atlanta, Georgia. Perfect. Thank you. So welcome. I am just so grateful uh, that you could spend some time with me this morning uh, in talking about collective care and self-care and what we need to be doing, not only for our community in this time, but what can we be doing for ourselves? So if you could tell me a little bit about your path to librarianship and what are you doing now uh, in your current role? Well, well, first I'm a HBCU graduate. I attended Fort Valley State University in Fort Valley, Georgia, here in the heartland of Georgia. And there I pursued my bachelor's of art in English literature. And I explored the options that I had at the time. And I realized that I spent most of my time already in the library and that I enjoyed the, the exploration and also exercising my independence in the library. And it was not only the faces, librarians that were some of my most significant sources of guidance, but that they helped me to determine and distinguish my path of my professional career. So I explored different ALA, American Library Association graduate programs, and I saw some near me in um, neighboring states. And the program that resonated with my individual pursuit of wanting to better my community, because I prefer to work in minority serving or minority owned institutions or, or environments that I wanted to attend the University of Alabama. And not only because I enjoyed their contribution to desegregating um, higher education, but also I enjoyed the kind of um, wealth of insight, the publications from the graduate students, as well as some of the works they were doing with archival preservation. And that's my concentration um, as a librarian. And I enjoy not only working in my institution, which is a special research library, but that we have a, a specific niche where we provide not only an insight but a range a fulcrum you know and that's one thing i want to highlight is that literature is not only a resource but it's a fulcrum it it provides a balance and a wealth of information so a reader can make informed decisions and arrive to their own conclusions and that's why i love working at my special research library we provide a collection solely 
solely dedicated to African-American culture, history, excellence, and literature. And one misconception about African-American literature is that most of the authors are black or brown. And you know, it's important that we have not only allies, but other non-people of color that want to provide not only inclusivity, visibility, but want to also diversify literature. And that's important. Yeah, amazing. And I, I've been to your library and, you know, your library, the Schomburg, um, <laughs> these libraries and your collections are just so important and they provide, I think, you know, sometimes solace and just encouragement and, you know, they can remind patrons in the community just how important they are, right? We talk a lot about uh, patrons and community members need to see themselves in the collections and services and what better way to do that uh, than in a library like yours. And then also the other thing that comes to my mind, uh, and I know you'll talk about this uh, in just a moment, is that your work uh, is really the epitome of bibliotherapy in, in my estimation. Right, this idea <laughs> of that you are presenting such a wide and rich range of resources, and to your point, uh, having people decide for themselves what's good for them, and you know how to absorb that information that they need, and that really is, you know, the essence of bibliotherapy. So now that I've labeled your work, um, is yeah. is that kind of where you're going with that, or? Exactly. Um, well, a part of my library system-wide um, reader advisory program is to not only promote but encourage leisure reading. But during this global pandemic, many have faced certain restrictions and limits going into a library or even having a library experience. And first is that a library's collection reflects its community. And second, in order for a library to better support its community, it has to have established listed policies that support, illustrate, um, provide visibility to certain issues in the community. So that way, when there are certain practices of collection development, when we're providing certain reader advisory book listing, it's not from a biased collection or a standpoint, but that it's non-biased, it promotes a neutral environment. And similar to my platform where I provide black literature selections, it's in a way where the reader or the reader, the scholar, or even someone in the audience can take their initiative, utilize their independence, and also locate similar resources. You know, not only am I providing um, literature as far as books, but Black literature or literature in general includes newspapers, magazines, academic journals. It's not just this traditional scope of resource. And I want individuals to understand that if you're not a traditional reader where you like to pick up a novel, say from Toni Morrison, you may appreciate Queen Afua with her um, Sacred Woman, or you may want to do um, the, the Body, Line, and Apology. Different books are certain um, accommodate a person's weaknesses and strengths. And that's what I want them to utilize literature to explore their weaknesses and strengths, but also to know that similar to conducting your mental health work, you must conduct your individual work with conducting your own research. And that there are professionals available, like library professionals, psychi um, psychiatric professionals, psychologists that are able to provide guidance. And that's what I'm here to do, provide guidance. So the individual work is done with the individual, but I'm here as a guidance and the literature is here as a fulcrum, as a resource, as a tool, 
as you conduct your mental health, as you conduct your research, as you explore your environment, as you explore yourself and discover who that individual is. Yeah, absolutely. So you're starting to get into the next question, um, but can you talk to me a little bit about your thoughts about not only self-care, but collective care and how you use that uh, in, in the work that you do? Well, first, the resources that I provide are patient-oriented. It is to serve the patient, the patron, and their individual needs, or what is unbeknownst to me. And the reason why I believe not only self-care, but self-love is a collective initiative is because sharing is caring. Communities are a collective narrative. And not only is a library, but similar uh, neutral learning environments are a circulation of information. And when you circulate these resources, it betters your community, it provides access, and it also allows others to reach, grab, and in a Sankofa effect, reach back to those that may not have access, may not be seen, may not be aware of certain resources. Um, for example, um, during the um, during the general election, I had a lot of inquiries about uh, felony discrimination and disenfranchisement and wanting to know if they were able to vote. Could they vote? How do they obtain this? And I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that this was such a great inquiry, especially during not only general elections, but any election. And so not only did I want to provide that information to the patron, but I wanted to provide it in a more um, patron-oriented that has an interface and is accessible and is easy for anyone to understand, hey, these are my options. These are my ability. These are my um, options. These are my opportunities. And now I must do the work to explore what I can do and utilize with this. And I think that provides options to care for one another and care for our environment. You know, each one teach one. And a part of my library's um, countywide initiative program, Resolve to Read, it's a part of our summer initiative program where we provide collections of reader advisories from not only ESC, but from large print books, Spanish and biblio board books for children, um, major authors, where we want to not only provide you um, a platform of resources, but that you can find something paired with your interests or alike with that. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. How did you take this work into the social media realm? So for our audience and our listeners, uh, Forrest is favorite librarian on uh, various social media accounts. <laughs> and I first saw Forrest, I believe on Instagram, um, recommending these yes. books. And I'm thinking, well, now, wait a minute, I need to read that. What is What, what book is gonna be featured today? <laughs> um, and, and really Ooh. just, you know, you're so <laughs> joyful, right? And you just bring so much encouragement to these recommendations. And so I have to think that there are other people like me who want to know what you're recommending next, but how did you bring this to social media and how do you think that that extends your community work? Mm. Well, 
First, um, the backstory of me engaging social media and platforms is that there's an increasing representation of Black librarianship and Black library professionals, but also within the intersections that I've explored and faced as a queer woman of color, I've also noticed that there is a lack of certain literature and resources or even suggestions that provide Black, Indigenous, or various other people of color resources that make them feel or that allow them to feel that they're not alone. And so during the global pandemic that um, heightened around March, um, I also was not able to go into my library because it was at a time when not only my library system, but the county, the state, the nation was at almost a standstill. And so I acknowledge one, my resources. I have certain devices and I'm also familiar because I also provide instruction on how to access them and utilize them appropriately. And then I utilize my strengths. I, as a millennial, I grew up with certain technology. And then I realized, okay, I am in one of the only special research libraries in the country solely dedicated to African-American history. I can provide a similar library experience that anyone would obtain just browsing the stacks. And so I wanted to provide that not only on my platform, but I also created uh, my own website, favoritelibrarian.com. So my Instagram, I pair Black literature with Black or Brown art or music. So that way people understand, not only people, but volumes of communities understand that the Black experience is not only complete with Black and Brown voices, but Black excellence, Black genius, Black expression, and that it's not only preserved or reflected in literature, but that there's other expressions. And so when I started utilizing my social medias, I realized there is an audience and that it's not just for those that reflect the similar faces on the books that I post. Not only black and brown communities want to have, want to read, want to touch this literature, but they also want access and other non-people of color, our allies and all. And I, I, one other important thing that I want to highlight that I preach is that black history is American history. And Black literature is a, one of the greatest components of every canon of literature, English, African. And that it's important to explore this world because there's so much. And I also, one thing that I preach on my social media is that you're not alone. That's something that I want to prioritize. I want others to prioritize because not only are you not alone with how you feel, but that it is important to prioritize your mental health. You know, what I also said is that similar to conducting the work for your mental health is similar to conducting work for academic research and conducting your research in general and that you must prioritize make established lists establish boundaries locate resources within your community or also acknowledge what access you have so then you can vocalize okay this is a problem i don't have access to this because libraries listen librarians listen your county listens your library system listens academia listens but you must continuously raise your voice yeah absolutely and i'm so glad you mentioned this idea of the canon right because i think that a lot of people don't necessarily understand the full context, right? So we know what we know uh, that we learned in K-12 and, you know, even in college <laughs> and higher ed, um, you know, and I was in a, another conversation uh, with some colleagues who said 
that uh, in library school, they never learned about E.J. Josie. Right. And so, you know, that's a key figure in black librarianship. But, you know, those these examples can go on and on and on, you know, throughout various disciplines and throughout the age ranges. Um, and people aren't always necessarily aware that this canon leaves out so much else, sometimes purposefully. Um, sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, we couldn't get to everything. But, you know, you think about the Tulsa riots and or the Tulsa yes. massacre and all of these events that are now coming out in popular media and in television and films and people are saying, how did I not know about this? It's because mm-hmm. the canon values certain things like whiteness, That's right. Christianity, maleness, heterosexuality, and anything outside of these norms is considered other. And so the other is not often taught. And so, you know, this idea that we need to really expand this canon, I think, is just such a valuable and important notion and what we need to be carrying forth in our our work as information professionals. We'll return to our interview in just a moment. First, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor for the podcast, the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina. Interested in librarianship? Then join a nationally ranked program with over a quarter century of experience educating leaders in the field online. From the State Library of Vermont to San Francisco to the Business Library of Oxford University, our graduates lead in schools, cities, and states around the U.S. and beyond. Now, let's get back to our interview. One thing I want to add to that, as well as expanding the canon, is that um, you may have recently seen certain news about Octavia Butler reaching after 50 years being on some of the best-selling lists. That is, that first of all, that disheartens me because the brilliancy of her work, her introduction of Afrofuturism to not only bodies and young readers, she, in my opinion, would write circles around R.L. Stein's because of the, the arch of characters, the worlds, the universes she creates. It's as if it's as if she it's as if her and Tolkien are neck and neck. Just just neck and neck. Because as you know, Tolkien created his universe before he created each individual character and then book. And I feel as though Octavia Butler has. And because there's a increasing interest in Afrofuturism, Afro-pessimism, and certain science fiction and the black imagination. That's also one thing. Black imagination include not only realms of science fiction, realistic fiction, but as we see with certain recent tales of love country, Lovecraft, we see that black history can be used in certain ways where it illustrates the imagination, science fiction, fantasy, in a way that it, it's just so refreshing. So I hope that we do begin to expand. I do, I do, began it. Yeah, I. I'm thinking about uh, Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, who wrote the book, The Dark Fantastic, about exactly (laughs) what you're saying. And Ebony says, you know, this, I've been a nerd since I was a child. And this is the imagination that I had all along that was criticized. And, you know, to your point, Forrest, you know, 20, 30 years later, her book is a success because this is the current trend, if you will, 
right? Yes. When this such valuable literature and imagination has been there all along. Yeah, yeah. That's also a reflection of a lack of inclusivity of Black imagination. I hope that we do begin to take us seriously. There's a film called Black Noir, which explores um, Black contribution, not only through creative and artistic direction, but also as actors and actresses. And it explores not only film history, but also how film have adapted certain novels and certain literary texts that um, exclude people of color narratives. So I do. <laughs> Yeah, amazing, amazing. Can you tell me a little bit about um, just kind of swinging back a little bit to your social media community? Who mm-hmm. who is your community, and what kind of feedback do you get from them? So I guess the the shorter question is, do they feel the collective care that you are putting out to them? <laughs> Yes, actually, I received a great deal of feedback, um, particularly um, in July, which was um, LGBTQ plus Pride Month, but also in September, um, September the 15th to October the 15th is National Hispanic Heritage Month. And there were certain intersections and communities that I was not providing literature that reflected their voices and contribution. For example, I was providing literature that provided the full scope and history and legacy of the Caribbean community, islands, and culture, but I wasn't going as far as South American literature. And there were some certain representations that, um, certain representations and histories and voices that truly needed to be um, appreciated and celebrated and also explored. And so with that insight, I now provide not only two to three pieces of Hispanic or Latina or Caribbean pieces of literature, but also it explores the dysphoric communities and identities, and also certain indigenous communities like Gullah Geechee, uh, Nation Historical Corridor. We talk about um, as far as uh, certain sterilization clinics and camps that were in Puerto Rico. We go down to Brazil. We go all even to the UK and Canada. It's important that the literature I provide on my social media platforms reflects not only Black literature on a global spectrum, but those voices in communities that complete the Black experience. And you know, one thing, the Black experience is a collective narrative, similar to Black literature. And Black and Brown voices complete not only the Black experience and Black literature. So it's important that when I provide literature that reflects the Black experience, this literature also reflects individual, distinctive, colorful, thrilling communities. Absolutely. So what's next? for you in terms of your work in collective care? Mm. Well, well, as a librarian, one of the greatest components of librarianship, and I know I sound like a nerd, is reference interviews. I enjoy just that interaction. It's not a combative um, exchange, but it's more like a ping pong. It's like, what do you like? I like this, 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 this. And I get to explore an onion. Not that everyone is an onion, we're all different vegetables and fruits, but peeling back the layers. And I'm like, oh, you trying to make a salad? I got you, let me help you with, I got the romaine, I got the tomato, you got the onions, you know? But it's your job to make the salad. And so that's also one of my, that's also something that I'm working on for what I want to do next as a better library, a better library, a better library and better library professional is that 
it's very easy as a librarian to enable your audience by doing a lot of the work, conducting a lot of the research, go ahead and locating certain resources, piecing together histories, and then telling them, providing it for them. But I'm working on better supporting my community and also my readers and audience. By one, I want to per, um, expand my platform. Hopefully, I'll be into YouTube by the end of this year, as well as I'm providing more book reviews. If you've noticed my platform, I'm reviewing a lot more um, Black and Brown, Indigenous and various people of color literature, which I'm enjoying because the feedback that I get back, you know, not only providing suggestions of literature is important, but also letting them know how it resonates with you, not from a biased opinion, but from a reader's perspective. So they understand how this resource can be utilized, even if all it pairs with their research needs, wants, or with what they're going with, with their avenue of research. So I'm enjoying that. So expanding my YouTube, or expanding my platform to YouTube, bettering my um, reference interview skill set, as well as learning how not to enable my audience and community and also prioritizing or continuing to prioritize my mental health during not only the general election, a global pandemic, but each day. You know, not only is your voice, your life, your expression, your identity, but who you are and your time is important. And not only a part of collective care, but self-care and love is a part of your whole well-being. The salad analogy is the best analogy ever. <laughs> I will be using kind of, with credit, of course. Yes, yes, I'm here for it. You can do it. Okay. <laughs> but what I also love about what you were saying and describing is this idea that you are giving part of yourself to your community mm -hmm. and, and your, your base. And I think it, that's part of that relationship building that we also need to keep in the forefront of our minds as information professionals. Um, sometimes our jobs can become very transactional because we're trying to get certain things done. Um, but we always have to remember that we're dealing with other human beings and we want them to regard us as hu human beings as well. And part of that is that give and take that you described. So, you know, I might be more inclined to read a book that you recommend because I know that you enjoyed it, right? So that giving of yourself is really part of that, that whole dimension uh, that I really appreciate. Wow, thank you. So, oh, man. <laughs> what other things um, do you do personally for self-care? So you mentioned absolutely prioritizing mental health um, and, and really, you know, doing the day-to-day, -day, right? But what do you do for self-care? Because that, you know, that old adage, uh, we can't help other people if we don't help ourselves first. If we're not full, we can't then extend that to others. True. Well, first for myself is that outside of reading, because that's how I create not only mental space to not only explore other perspectives, but to understand the world around me. Now, this is my individual perspective is just, as a librarian, I sometimes feel like I know everything or I know where to find information for everything. So sometimes I'm one of those people where it's hard to tell me something, <laughs> but I'm working on that. <laughs> and the pandemic has helped me to, one, acknowledge that is the first step. And two, I also try to become physically active. Um, as many people 
our in communities were restricted during the first months of COVID's heightened time, March, April, and May, I go outside, I try to go on hikes, I also explore a different parks once a week. That's something that I look forward to. Not only do I make weekly goals, but I make uh, monthly goals. For me, I've learned that when I make a daily goal during this global pandemic, sometimes I don't achieve them. And sometimes that may um, dishearten me from doing something the next day. So I've learned that if I make a weekly goal or weekly goals that I have established and listed, I have something to look forward to. I also can bring others in. You know, as I said, each one teach one. And the Sankofa effect, not only is it important to reach back, but to reach out and grab and embrace those around you. So that way you can also verbalize your interests, needs and struggles, but also you can see where others may need certain resources that you have already utilized or have, or that they didn't even have access to or knowledge of. And so outside of me becoming, outside of becoming physical or more physical um, and reading, I also have nourished my relationship with my parents. Um, my parents are older. Yes. <laughs> and so I have utilized this time to better cultivate a relationship with those that love and support me, regardless if they're blood or my chosen family. And that's something that um, I want others to also prioritize is that when you share resources, you're sharing not only yourself, you're sharing, you know, you're being compassionate, but you're also showing who you are on the inside. Vulnerability is beautiful. <laughs> it really is. And I just I just adore that answer. I my parents are older as well. Um, and I love what you said about chosen family. Um, and I think that, you know, that's been so important during this time. Um, a lot of people have, you know, engaged in this reflection and really thinking about who and what really matters. Right. And it mm -hmm. it, it took this very forced, dramatic pandemic downtime for us to have this reflection. Um, and hopefully, you know, it's something that we will take forward, right? Because we will always need those relationships uh, to keep us uh, whole and to keep us going um, because there's always some tragedy, unfortunately, or, or something that we need to deal with. And how do we, as you mentioned, uh, keep replenishing and nourishing ourselves uh, during these times? So before I ask you um, the last question, is there anything that you wanted to share that I have not asked already? Well, one, I hope that everyone listening or under the sound of my voice is prioritizing their mental health, crafting a great reading list, but most importantly, utilize literature as a fulcrum, a balance of wealth and information to explore history, cultures, and communities around you and intersections, whether it be exploring queer people of color um, narratives or Black, Indigenous, and various people of color, including Asian, Island Pacific variations, and that Black and Brown voices complete the Black experience, not just Black voices, Brown. And, you know, just having this conversation, conversing with you today, it really helps me to see that the work I'm doing is resonating positively with others. And that just, it just makes my whole heart smile. Like this, this interaction today, it truly just fuels my passion to keep going. And oh man, I'm just overjoyed by this opportunity and occasion. I'm just so excited. 
And you know, as as you said, you, we were first introduced via my social media, Favorite Librarian, which is also my Instagram and favoritelibrarian.com, where you can find and locate the same resources on all my social media platforms there. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I'm so glad you mentioned that. We're going to make sure that that's available. Um, and, and really, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that um, our conversation uh, can give you that affirmation for your work because your work really is reaching people. And it, it really, it really is. And, you know, and I think that a lot of us need to even be more mindful about you know, the, the persona that we give to others and, and being purposeful about yeah. sharing joy and purposeful about sharing our, our, our love of librarianship and, and all of these things and, and thinking about being more outward facing. So I love to see that. So the final question I have for you today is what gives mm -hmm. you hope? What gives me hope? Oh man, what gives me hope? And I hope I don't get on my soapbox. What gives me hope, oh man, is true joy, happiness, and change. And that I hope to see it come and being pulled out from the inside of someone. You know, I believe that in order to see the change you want in the world, similar to Gil Scott Heron, yes, the revolution will not be televised because the change, the true love, the true joy, and the true hope that you see in the world happens internally first. And through literature, you locate tools and ways to pull out that joy change and what sparks hope for not only a better day, but to be the best you can be. Whether you elevate to your highest self today or tomorrow, you can do that, not only through tools in your community, but working in and with your community and utilizing literature while you conduct your research to explore what needs change? What is change? What is hope? What is love? <laughs> that is beautiful. Thank you. So thank you so very, very much uh, for joining right. today. It has been <laughs> just an awesome pleasure and honor to connect and be able to uh, share the work that you do uh, with the audience, because I think it's so important and it's such an inspirational example of things that we should be doing in the profession. So thank you again for spending some time today. Oh, thank you. I've enjoyed this. This is wonderful. 